Today on Ag News Daily. I, I tell my producers, it's like you're on a flight and the flight gets canceled for maintenance issues on the plane. Every other flight is full. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Flying solo for today. And I'm going to keep this short because there are some things going on in the world of agriculture, but I have a feeling that tomorrow is going to be a news dump kind of day. And we've got some good interviews coming up this week. So I'm going to keep it short, uh, mostly because we have the Hot Rod Farmer Minute coming up here in just a little while, but we've also got a really great interview that I did with a veterinarian from the Swine Vet Center, and he's got some interesting things to share about what's going on right now in the pork industry, and we're talking pork again tomorrow. But when you take a look today at some news, I'm going to start actually out talking about meat-related news. The Trump administration, more specifically Secretary Perdue, has said that he thinks we've turned a corner. He said he believes that packing plant facilities will be fully operational within 10 days. He and the Trump administration had a meeting earlier this week, which included Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, as well as Vice President Pence and Secretary Perdue, and they've all been touring and visiting meatpacking facilities that have had either shutdowns or slowdowns due to COVID-19. They're also, of course, as mentioned, working to put together those plans. Whatever those plans are going to look like, we still don't really know. They have to be OSHA and CDC compliant. But on Friday, sec- or, excuse me, Vice President Pence will be headed to Iowa. He is going to be part of a roundtable with ag and food supply chain leaders at the Hy-Vee headquarters here in Des Moines. And they're going to be talking about what to do as we see meat shortages. And I tell you what, the the two-week shortage that we've been talking about is here. And not only that, but talking to a pork farmer tomorrow that will air on the podcast, the long-term implications for having shortages at the grocery store are going to be much longer, I think, than what people in D.C. are anticipating. I don't want to give too much away, but chatting tomorrow with Rob Brenneman of Brenneman Pork, and there's just a lot of moving pieces, I'll say that. So we'll be talking about that more tomorrow, but long-term implications, no doubt. So as we also reported earlier, CoBank's been doing some surveys and some statistics and analysis, and they are saying... I think that I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but again, I'm going to reiterate it, that meat supplies for supermarkets could fall down or could be down by 30% on Memorial Day weekend and retail prices as high as 20% higher. So definitely going to have some long-term ripple effects going on in the agricultural industry. What's surprising to me is this next piece of information and news coming out for today. Again, looking at meat and protein supplies, but on the export side of things. The USDA put together some data compiled by themselves, as well as the U.S. Meat Export Federation, looking at March exports. And the U.S. had some record pork and beef exports during the month of March. So I know that's hard for me even to sit here and rewind back to March. I'm trying to think, you know, were we in quarantine in March? Were we in lockdown? I'm having a hard time even keeping track of the day of the week. But 
for a lot of states, we were starting to head into that transitional phase. We were starting to think, see things shut down. Maybe perhaps your state would have been shut down in the month of March. But we also saw these record exports of U.S. beef and U.S. pork. We saw extraordinary demand coming from China and Hong Kong, who rose to record exports of U.S. pork, or imports, I should say, of U.S. pork. The U.S. shipped about just under 300,000 metric tons of U.S. pork to foreign buyers in March, a 38% increase from a year ago. So the question that comes to me is, as we see these shortages hit our supply chain, does that mean we're going to see this inverted for the months of May and June and July, where we're seeing record imports of pork or beef or other products? I don't know. I find that hard to believe since we're such a world producer in protein. But, you know, some of these other countries are have had some time to restabilize their population, maybe had some ways to deal with a shortage of product in the store. I'm not saying that their product are their products aren't as safe as ours. They're not as consumable as ours, but will we see this inverted in the months to come? I I don't know. It's something yet to be seen. But we also saw not only strong pork demand, but also strong beef demand, specifically in the Japanese market, where thankfully we've seen tariffs fall down. And U.S. beef pushed up to about 115,000 metric tons in the month of March, which was a 7% increase from just a year ago. We also saw exports increased in Taiwan, Canada, Mexico, and South Korea. So it's crazy to think that we had these huge amount of exports being sent out. You would have thought that would have been a little more supportive to the markets. But at the same time, that was really when the United States was heading into this phase of having some quarantine or shutdowns, if you will. So definitely something to continue watching. But on the export side of things, again, USDA reported some flash sales. It does appear China is coming to the buying table. So I think I mentioned yesterday that U.S. soybean folks were predicting China come to the table. U.S. corn grower folks are predicting China's going to come to the table. And it does seem that China is coming to the table. And I think part of the reason I'm having such a hard time really thinking that China is coming to the table is just because there's so much other news. There's so much other noise going on right now. It's hard to kind of keep your... your, your uh, what are those things? Your blinders that the horses will wear, right? In Amish country. It's hard to keep those blinders on when there's so much other news that is disrupting our supply chain and disrupting our system. But I digress. USDA did say on Thursday they reported a flash sale of 686,000 metric tons of corn to Chinese buyers. About half of that is going to be delivered here in this marketing year, 2020, 2019. The rest in 2020-21. So this would indicate, especially I think because they split that sale up into the two years that are part of the phase one trade deal, that they are trying to make good, at least to some extent, to fulfill those yearly tariff rate quotas and try and get to that, you know, approximately $80 billion mark that they are geared up to hit here over the next two years. So it was a really, really large purchase, and um, 
roughly tripled the export sales for 2020 to 2021 corn in the entire week of April 24th through the 30th. So definitely coming to the table finally at last. But like I said, I've had blinders on. It's hard for me to really see what's going on. I think uh, it's hard for agriculture to see what's going on too, but we really haven't talked about this much, but I just want to make a quick mention here. You know that oil is uh, starting to pick up demand, but it does seem a little fishy, does it not? That we really haven't had any new demand. Why are we seeing oil prices pick up? President Trump has been tweeting that oil demand is up. We're starting to see prices go back up if you've gone to the gas station as of lately, but I don't know of a lot of people that are actually getting back out there and getting back on the road. We haven't really seen demand here in the United States change all that much, I would say. Yet we're seeing oil start to rebound, start to climb back up. So just something to keep an eye on. I'll uh, share a little more detail about that here at a very future date when I have on a special guest to talk maybe a little bit more about that. But just keep that in the back of your back of your cap. Put that in, watch, put that on your radar to continue to watch. But uh, oil is definitely going to be a big mover here to one side or the other and is going to pull some other markets up with it. So I just want to put that little, little uh, piece of news in your all's radar for you to continue to watch. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Before checking the pressure in the tire or topping it off, it is imperative that you are first aware of its temperature. Employ an infrared non-contact thermometer for this. Taking a reading is necessary since air is elastic. It expands when hot and contracts when cold. For every 10 Fahrenheit degree change in temperature, the pressure in the tire is altered by one pound per square inch. If the tire had 40 pounds per square inch in the shop at 65 Fahrenheit degrees and then was outside at 95 Fahrenheit degrees, the pressure would increase to 43 pounds per square inch. Conversely, at the same shop temperature in the winter, when brought outside to 5 Fahrenheit degrees, the tire would now have only 34 pounds per square inch. Consider a nitrogen fill instead of air, since it is much more stable. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. But other than that, I'm looking here through the news wires. I don't see a whole lot of other exciting things going on today in agriculture. So let's take a look over at the commodity markets, which had a much more exciting day, especially in the soybean pits. But let's kick, in, kick things off here first with the corn pits. The May contract closed up four and a quarter cent to close at 316 even, while the December up two and three quarters to close at 334 even. In the soybean pits, the May contract up 11 cents on the day to close at 8.41 and a half, while the November up 9 cents to close at 8.48 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the May contract up 4 and a quarter cent to close at 5.29, while the December up 4 and a half cents to close at 5.33 and a half. Taking a look over into the livestock pits, they had a really impressive trading session today, used 
limit up days and some expanded limits in the feeder cattle markets. In the June live cattle contract, we closed up the limit today to end at 93.97 and a half. The August limit up as well to close at 99.95. In the feeder cattle pits, the May contract up the expanded limits to trade today $6.17 and a half cents higher to end the day at 130.27 and a half. Finally, really starting to see some strength in these feeder cattle complex and live cattle complex. The August also traded expanded limits today. Didn't close up quite as nicely as the May contract, but still put on $5.40 today to end at 138.15. In the lean hog markets, we saw some spread trading today as the May closed up 70 cents to end at 68.80. The June up, excuse me, the June down $1.67 and a half to close at 63.90. And hopping over to take a look at the dairy markets. They finished in the red today, really the biggest loser compared to lean hogs. The May contract closed down two cents to end at 11.48. The June shed 32 cents to close at 13.30. Now, without further ado, let's turn it over to my conversation with Tim Lola. Well, as we continue to cover issues impacting the business of agriculture, more specifically right now, COVID-19 related concerns, chatting today with Tim Lola, a veterinarian for the Swine Vet Center. Tim, thank you so much for joining today. Well, thanks for the invite. It's, uh, it's a crisis and it's different every day and we're trying to work through it. So I appreciate you uh, including me in well, absolutely, and we appreciate what you have been doing for the swine industry. But for those of our listeners who are not familiar with Swine Vet Center, what do you guys do in the swine industry? So we're uh, an independent veterinary practice. We have 15 veterinary uh, on staff. All we do is pigs. We don't do any other species. We just deal with pigs. We've worked for most producers across the country, but our main business is in the six upper Midwest states, and we deal with family farms from 100 sows to over 100,000 sows, and so we help them improve production, improve health, and hopefully are more profitable. And the, the states that you cover, the upper Midwest states, those six states have definitely been impacted here during COVID-19 with all of the facilities, the processing facilities shutting down. What are you hearing? What are you telling folks to do right now? Yeah, we were, uh, we have a client base in Southeast Iowa. So the Columbus Junction uh, plant that went down for Tyson first, that closed. Uh, that affected our clients immediately. The next one was Sioux Falls and and then Worthington. And so those two plants, uh, a lot of our southern Minnesota, northwest Iowa producers go to those two big plants. Columbus Junction is a single uh, shift plant, both uh, Sioux Falls, uh, the Smithfield plant and the uh, Worthington JBS plant are both double shift over 20,000 pigs a day harvested. So that really got into our producers. We had, you know, many of them had very little other option to go with their pigs. Right, because once you contract with a Tyson or a Smithfield or whoever, you have to send those pigs to that facility. Is that correct? 
Yeah, and and have to. Uh, I mean, there's two different two different things. The industry, uh, you know, as Steve Meyer, the economist for the pig industry, has talked about that we're running full. And so somewhere around 495,000 head a day was a normal full day. And we had been running full. And so when these packing plants uh, shut down for a period of time, that puts extra pigs on everybody else. And I, I tell my producers, it's like you're on a flight and the flight gets canceled for maintenance issues on the plane. Every other flight is full. So there isn't other options to go to other packing plants. They're already full. And so it, it's very troublesome for the producer. They talk to all the other plants. And sometimes uh, they get some in on a Saturday or on a long shift. But the numbers that they're talking, they can't go on uh, somebody else's uh, plant because there is no room at those plants. Yeah, I, I think you've shared that analogy with me before of the flight system, and I think that really lets us kind of imagine that scenario if we are not livestock producers ourselves. Correct. Um, and so it brings it right to home that uh, there is no place. And so all all options are on the table then. And so every one of our clients, did nutrition changes and the nutritionists aren't schooled in how to slow down pigs, mm -hmm. how to make them not grow. And we're the toughest industry to adjust. And so we say, you know, that uh, chickens, they can quit breaking eggs and six weeks later, their inventory is correct. The fruit and vegetables, they can compost them. The cattle, they can put them out on grass. But pigs, we have an 11-month cycle where we breed a sow. She farrows four months <clears throat> later, and then six months later, she's ready for harvest. 99% of these are in environmentally controlled buildings at the required square footage, and it's a just-in-time system. And so there is no room to just have extra pigs in the system. They're pigs farrowing every week, which means they're birthing and creating new pigs that were bred four months ago. And so it becomes very, very difficult in the pig industry. The pig industry is the worst one of having to, to deal with this, not having the ability to get your pigs harvested. And so many things, one, you know, we've, change nutrition so they grow slow. Uh, we've warmed the barns up so they kind of get warm and lazy and don't want to eat as much. If they don't eat as much, they won't grow. The young pigs, which <clears throat> they have much more space than the big pigs, we can double or triple fill to hold a couple, two or three weeks worth of inventory. All of those things are going on in the pig industry right now. And so you can buy yourself three weeks, four weeks, that uh, type of scenario, but then something has to let loose. And mm -hmm. that happened here uh, a week ago, Wednesday, we had to have producers that there was no other option. They had to start euthanizing yeah. uh, some of their pigs 
because there was no place to take them to harvest. And you can't keep getting them bigger because at the plants, at the uh, packing plants, there is an upper limit of how big they can get. And when they're going down the rail, then they'll drag on the ground, et cetera. So they can't have that. So there is an upper limit to how right. big you can send them. So is when they get to that point where they're pushing weight and they're probably not going to be accept, accepted at a processing facility, is euthanization your only option at that point? Well, that's and that's a terrible option. Uh, my partner, Dr. Yevsky, and I, have worked with MPPC, we would like to resurrect the old pseudorabies buyout. Uh, you know, there is endemic diseases. If you go PED, mycoplasma, PERS, APP, swine dysentery, we started that four weeks ago to say, let's make a positive out of a negative. If we have to get some pigs out of the system, let's have the worst pigs and when we come off the backside, we'll have a healthier U.S. herd, which will be more competitive. That's at the NPPC level right now. I talked to Colin Peterson last Wednesday when he was in Minnesota on it. And so it would be a lot of work to resurrect that. Uh, we started that conversation four weeks ago. Uh, so we'll see where NPPC can get done there. Also, there's a lot of local uh, locker plants that will harvest pigs for you. So we've encouraged all the local locker plants and all the producers to uh, use those. I know we have a famous one in Nicollet, Minnesota, just the next town to the west, and they're booked up till August already on slaughtering pigs for people for their home. Uh, 10 days ago in Mankato, somebody said they went to buy a freezer and they wanted, they wanted to buy some meat and put it in a freezer. There was not a freezer to be had in, in Mankato 10 days ago. You know, Lowe's, Home Depot, Menards, all those stores were all sold out of freezers. So there is a lot of that being done. There's uh, farms that are selling out you know, the side door for uh, kind of field dressing, just like people would a deer and using it for their own consumption. And so we are, we are moving and trying to get pigs moved that way. So we get to use it as food like it was originally intended. And there was a webinar today, two of my partners, Dr. Jake Schwartz and Dr. Brad Lewerke explained some of the, uh, euthanasia that they've been involved with and we're trying to limit it to just absolute critical uh big pigs that they had to deal with but they want to do it scientifically they want to do it on avma guidelines proper disposal according to state regulations so they gave a webinar this afternoon with the pork board and they've been very involved in that so it gets done right and gets done humanely but we'd rather not have to do right. uh, food. When you euthanize pigs like that, that's a cost that a producer incurs and, and a loss of money, right? That that could have been a marketed hog. Correct. And, and uh, you know, listeners may 
say say that it costs 120 to 130 dollars to raise a pig you would hope to get that or more you'd hope to get more obviously uh when you market a pig when you euthanize them you get zero so say that you have 130 dollars worth of cost now you're getting zero but you still have to go somewhere you have to have your staff uh get prepared to euthanize and and so there's a cost of labor and then once you have them euthanized on site then you have to truck them to wherever uh whether it's rendering or whatever and so there's easily another 10 or 20 dollars of cost in order to get that euthanasia and proper uh handling of the carcass in order to get that done so you're incurring more costs. Yeah, which is heartbreaking to hear, see and, and hear across the ag industry. Tim, one final question for you. As you look at specifically the geographical area that you guys cover, how much of a supply chain issue do you think we're going to have here? The, I mean, forecasting, you know, this week into next week, we could start to see a lack of pork and beef at the grocery store what are you seeing from your ground level yep it's a it's a very just-in-time uh system that we have for some of the grocery stores and uh one of my partners was in a grocery store in albert lee and another one in mankato and they were checking it out this weekend and uh two of the stores were essentially barren of pork uh the other one uh, was with a packer that hasn't had a closure yet, and their their store was full. So it does depend on who's supplying the grocery store. Is there meat there? But definitely uh, there's uh, a shortage uh, on the shelves. There was one company, uh, a very large uh, grocery store chain, that uh, said they're going to limit purchases to three per customer. So three pork items per customer or meat items. I think beef was in there as well because uh, beef is having the same issues. And so uh, it is affecting the shelves at the at the grocery stores. Uh, yeah, crazy, crazy times we're living in right now. Tim, certainly appreciate your, your time and your insight today into the real Can life... I- can I make one comment on testing? Absolutely, please do. So uh, three of us, Dr. Dave Baumgars from Orange City, myself, Dr. Brad Frecking of New Fashion, have been very involved in, in how the testing is going on. I wrote a testing algorithm uh, about testing entire populations, trying to learn and pass on what we've learned in the pig world on uh, kind of herd immunity and so now in the last 10 days there's been six or more probably eight or nine plants that have tested their entire population with of workforce with the pcr test and they're finding way way more positive than they ever would have imagined they had previously been recommended just to test the clinicals and so that would get more well when you test hundreds of of people and you get hundreds of positives in some situations and people go, I feel fine. 
the percentage is 85 to 90 percent of those positives are clinically normal, asymptomatic. And so that's getting to be a big relief for them, like they don't have to be scared to go to work because they're already positive. The next piece of the puzzle is the antibody test. And so some of the negatives in that plant are not naive. They've been exposed and already have antibodies. So the day they get tested, they're not showing PCR positive. They've already rid themselves of that. So that's just starting to get going. I got, I know I was the first one. I got blood drawn Friday and that's going to the Mayo Clinic to get tested hopefully tomorrow. That's been a little bit of work in getting them to buy in that the next piece is the antibody test. But uh, if we had that more available right now, we would be doing whole populations with antibody tests. So you can say that, you know, 10%, 20, 30, 40% have already seen it and are immune and we don't have to be concerned with this portion of the population. So. Us three have been intimately involved in this every day, most all day long, helping use what we've learned in pig diseases. And we, we talk herd immunity and understanding the whole population, where in human medicine, it's an individual and do you have it or not. And so we're trying to help, trying to uh, get the proper uh, testing done so that we can get through this and get these plants back working. Absolutely. And that's, I think, the goal at the end of the day is to get those plants back up and working. So we certainly appreciate what you're doing for the swine industry. And we definitely appreciate you joining us today on the podcast, Tim. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, again, a big thank you there to Dr. Lola for filling us in. We're continuing the swine discussion tomorrow, so do stay tuned. It's a conversation that you don't want to miss. Maybe not the most lighthearted conversation, but definitely one that is impacting our industry, one I find fascinating. So stay tuned. You can find us on the web at agnewsdaily.com. You can connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily. Or you can check out any of the other podcasts that are part of Global Ag Network at globalagnetwork.com. With that, I'll let you all go and see you here tomorrow. (laughs) 